This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Well, I went to uh, the gym uh, this week, and I think all of the New Year's gym goers have already quit. Uh, there just wasn't that many people there as there were the first two weeks. You know, those resolutions now, it's January 22nd, so we can wait until the end of next year to make any more resolutions. But yeah, so, you know, like in, in December and Thanksgiving, the holidays, I made a commitment, you know, I'm not eating any Halloween candy. And I did a great job of that. But then, man, once you get into November, there's big football games, uh, stuffing, dressing, turkey, all the things. Christmas parties, and, you know, uh, Brandy said, hey, go get some fun stuff from Costco. You know, if you're at Costco, get some fun stuff. I mean, Costco, it's got some fun stuff, and you get a lot of it, right? And so there was this stuff, I think, um, that Satan created. Uh, It was a bag of, like, salty, sweet, savory things, like pretzels with chocolate, little chocolate chips, all in this bag called Mingle Mix. And it was the thing that got me, right? There's a lot of things about Christmas and desserts that I can just pass over. But for whatever reason, I just found myself walking around the house with the whole thing of Mingle Mix. It was this big, huge bag. And I asked the family, like, did you guys eat any of this? They're like, no, Dad, you ate all of it. And so, um, so I'm like, okay, I got to get it together. Christmas is over. But then we, our neighbors had a New Year's Eve party. And there was all this food there and stuff. And I walked over, and there's this huge bowl of Mingle Mix. I was like, no. So I got one of those big red solo cups. You know, I'm walking around the party with a red solo cup full of mingle mix. I'm just like, this is it, man. New Year's Eve 2023, I'm turning it around. And here's the great thing. This is amazing. So I get on the scale, uh, which I had avoided for a long time. I got on the scale, and over Christmas and Thanksgiving, I lost 10 pounds. It was a Christmas miracle. <laughs> I got off the scale, and I realized that it, was on, it started on negative 10 or negative 20 or something, right? Right? So the scale needed to be recalibrated. It wasn't really telling me the truth about who I was. The truth was I was just a big, giant blob of mingle mix. But because the scale wasn't calibrated correctly, it wasn't telling me the truth, right? So the whole idea is this theme that we're thinking through about studying 1 Corinthians is how can God's Word recalibrate our lives, right? Because the Word of God tells us the truth about who we are, as hard as that is sometimes. But it also tells us the truth about the glory and the goodness of God, as wonderful as that is. And, and the way, where those two things meet, right, the, the struggle of who we are and the glory of God, those things meet at the cross. It tells us the true story of what Jesus has done to come down and to reach into this world and to love us and to restore us and to keep on restoring us so that we can be not fit people who have rock-hard abs, but fit people who love Jesus and who love our community and know how much we're loved by God and how much we've been given to do in this world to, to share the good news. And so as we're studying 1 Corinthians, that's what we're thinking about, is this gentle, loving recalibration that God is gracious enough uh, to give to us. And we're studying this because the Apostle Paul loves the people of Corinth, right? He, he wrote this letter to them. Actually, there's two, 
Uh, and we believe there are actually four, but we only have two. It's this correspondence of love that he's given to them. And we remember the city of Corinth was this like pagan cultural center of finance, of commerce, of uh, sexual immorality because of the temple of Aphrodite and all that went along with that. And so you just think about the systems of devastation within families uh, because of uh, sexual promiscuity and because of materialism that just had to devastate that city. But Paul went there and God led him to go and he planted a church. And then he wrote these letters to them and he, and he just says, I, I, basically, I love you and I want the gospel to penetrate more into who you are so that it would shape and form who you are. And it's going to tell you the truth about who you are. It's going to deal with the hard things. But it's through the gospel that those hard things become uh, the truth that we need because of the mercy of God that's been given to us so that we can become the people God wants us to be. And if God can create a flourishing church in the city of Corinth, in a pagan epicenter, then God can establish and bless his church right here in Memphis, Tennessee, and in our community. Because in some ways, our city parallels their city. The culture that we live in parallels the culture that they live in. And Paul's never saying, hey, get out of there. He's saying, be Christ's followers in the midst of the city to point people to Jesus, the Savior. And so we're looking at this mor- that this morning in an ongoing way. Uh, we're reading here in 1 Corinthians, starting with uh, chapter 2, verse 6 through 16. Please stand with me if you're able. And if you can, open up your Bible. Open up your Bible or the Pew Bible and look at the words as they go along. Have your Bible open when, you're, when I'm reading, when I'm preaching. If you want to read a different passage and God's speaking to you, that's way more important than if I'm speaking to you. So open your Bible, bring your Bible, open it and read it. Follow along that, just that, um, the blessing of seeing the Word of God in print is is a, is a, it's a, it is a blessing. This is the word of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, They would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The word of God for the people of God. 
You may be seated. We thank you for your word. I thank you for revealing yourself to us by your spirit. Uh, we do pray for wisdom. We pray for your spirit to open our eyes and our hearts and our minds that we might not only see you and hear you and know you, but that we would respond in obedience to a world of pain, of sorrow, of struggle, that we might be your people for your sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, a king had a difficult decision to make. Two women came to him with a disagreement. Both were actually prostitutes with sons, born three days apart. One of the sons had died in the night because the mother lay on that child. In the night, she took the son of the other woman and replaced hers with the dead child. In the morning, the mother realized what had happened, the other mother, but because no one saw her do this, no one knew whose son was alive and whose was dead. So they went to the king with their disagreement. But how do you decide what to do? It's her word against her word. She, she said, she said. No witnesses, no birth certificates, no way to prove who's lying and who's telling the truth. So what does the king say? Bring me a sword. Divide the living child in two. Give half to the one, give half to the other. Of course, this is a reasonable solution, isn't it? Both women get half a baby. Perfect. No, of course not. But it does move one woman whose child lives to say, give her the living child. And by no means put him to death because she yearned for her own child. The other woman said, he will neither be mine or yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, for she is the mother. This, of course, comes from 1 Kings. It's the story of Solomon. And all Israel, the word says, stood in awe of him because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Solomon had asked God for wisdom, and this pleased the Lord. And we also should ask for wisdom from the Lord. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. What is wisdom? It's a, a soundness of action. It's a soundness of decision about the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. We know that experience is a wonderful teacher, but the best students learn from the experiences of others. And here, in this beginning section of 1 Corinthians, we are being taught about this, the wisdom of God, the spirit of wisdom that comes to us. And remember the context in which Paul was living. Last week, we talked about this a little bit. Right? There, are, uh, there are Greek philosophers in the community that are sharing wisdom of men. Uh, there are Jews who are demanding signs because they want Jesus to prove who he is. And that's how they understand the world. But Paul is saying that there's a greater idea, a greater sense of how we understand the world around us, how we even sense our, understand ourselves. And that's the, the wisdom of God. How do we understand what wisdom is? Well, first we learn in the text that, that wisdom, Paul says, 
is a secret. Paul says it's secret and hidden wisdom. He says the wisdom is not imparted from the rulers of the day, but rather secret and hidden. Here secret, though, doesn't mean something that no one's allowed to share. Like, I have a secret for you that you can't tell anyone, as if that person was ever not going to actually share that secret. It's something, rather, that has been concealed, but is now being revealed. The word in the Bible for hidden right there is mysterion, right? We often understand that word. It's a mystery, something with layers that is unfolding in its complexity and its scope and its power. You know, if you've seen a, a good mystery movie or uh, read a good uh, book that's a mystery, at the end of the story, you find out who it was that committed the crime. And then often they'll review the story. And there right before you, all throughout the film or all throughout the book, were the clues that the detective was able to discern to solve the mystery that were right in front of you, but you did not see. That phrase, or the footprints, or the time when the person was in the parlor with the knife on the thing, right? I can clue. It was all right there in front of you, but you didn't see it because it was a mystery. It was a secret in one sense, but if you had been discerning, if you had known what to look for, you would have known exactly what was going on. Paul says that the gospel is a secret and hidden wisdom in the same way. There's a sense in which we can't see it. We don't fully understand it. But once we know what the end of the story is, and those of us who are in Christ, those of us who read the Word, we do know what the end of the story is. Now we can see all of the clues that are right there in front of us. And the more we spend time with God, understanding His Word, and seeking wisdom, the more we can read the times, the more we can understand what it is that's going on around us. We can interpret the difficult things that happen. We can celebrate with the joy, but we can also weep with those who weep, and we understand that because of brokenness and because of sin, the heart, the heart of the world aches. Paul says this in verse 9, but as it is written, he's quoting Isaiah, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. You know, what's going on in that context in Israel, now Paul is a, is a great student of the Old Testament. Right? We remember this from our series on Romans. How many times does Paul, when he uh, addresses the Romans, go back to the Old Testament Right? In Romans chapter 3, ten different times he speaks to the church about the Old Testament. In this moment, in, in, Israel, in Isaiah, Israel is in captivity. They're awaiting God's deliverance. They had been sent into Babylon because of their sin. And in Babylon, in that place of sorrow and struggle, they're being chastened. They cried out to God. And God said that he would come down to deliver them. And he did answer their prayers, but only after 70 years of exile. God had plans for his people, and they did not have to be afraid. Jeremiah 29, he had great plans for them, but it was a season of struggle and difficulty. 
And so Paul now is applying this principle to the church. Our future is secure in Christ. We, we know the end of the story. We know the end of the mystery. That no matter what happens in this life, we know that God is going to accomplish his purposes. There's nothing we can do to thwart what God is doing. And so our choice is either to begrudgingly go along with it or to seek God's wisdom and to understand how we can be part of it. See, God's plans for his own are so wonderful that our minds cannot even begin to conceive of them or to understand them. We see brokenness and sorrow and struggle, and God sees redemption and beauty and glory. It's glory all the way from earth all the way to heaven, even in the midst of the struggle. See, for those who love God, every single day is a good day. Romans 8.28. It may not look like a good day. It may not even feel like a good day. But when God is working his plan, we can be sure of the best. It's when we fail to trust him or obey him or when our love for him grows cold that life takes on a somber hue. But if we walk in God's wisdom, we will enjoy his blessings. Do you believe that today, friends? I know you face hardship. I know there's discouragement. There's sadness and sorrow. There's stress. There's challenges and concerns about what's going to happen tomorrow. How am I going to make it today? Or uh, the, the past that continues to come up and to say, well, you know, you, you never were good enough. Those questions, those hardships, those struggles we all face. And that's part of life. That's part of the brokenness that we have with our relationship with God and the relationship that we have with ourselves and that comes out in the relationship we have with the creation and with other people. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters, the secret wisdom of God is that God has a plan and he's accomplishing it and he's wanting to shape and form you through that process to encourage you and to remind you and not only that, but to help you to be someone that can encourage and remind someone else who doesn't know the goodness of the gospel that there is a plan and there is a God who's on the throne. Remember, when we've considered these realities, these two truths of the gospel, uh, the message that's centered on the death of Christ and it's part of the Father's eternal plan that, that the believers in Corinth had sometimes forgotten. They had forgotten the cost of Jesus' salvation. They had gotten their eyes off the cross and so they became involved in uh, lesser things. They were consumed with lesser passions that were actually causing dysfunction in their own families, in their own culture that had created the city that they lived in. They needed to focus their eyes on Jesus. And in the same way we do too. We can lament the, the brutality and the brokenness of this world. We can complain about crime. We can talk about, you know, this, that happened at Kroger and this happened over there and all the pain and agony and people got broken into and whatever. And those things are all true and they're terrible. But we also then can remember that we're God's people and this is our city. And we live here with the gospel, with the hope of Jesus that we can bring to the people that we work with and the people that live in our city that face sorrow and struggle, that feel like their only hope is to take advantage of someone else. We can enter into those places with the hidden truths of the gospel that have become real in our hearts. So the wisdom of God is a secret wisdom. It's a mystery that's being revealed, but it's also, Paul says, an imparted wisdom. Imparted. He uses this word in verses 6, 7, and 13. He describes how he is giving the Corinthians 
wisdom. He is imparting this wisdom. He says, not in words taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit. He's interpreting these uh, spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. These truths or these realities, this hidden mystery, this hidden wisdom is only available, can be understood by those who are spiritual. Not, not spiritual in some nebulous sense that you often hear people say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Now, there is a spiritual component to our faith, but it's also a very physical uh, faith, right? It's a person who was born and died in history. It's not just something that someone said, I went up onto a mountain and God revealed this to me. No, it's a person who came and lived and died with a, with a physical body, fully God, fully man, who shed blood, whose body was broken and crushed on the cross. So we, we have a very physical, real faith that is in history, but it's also a spiritual faith because the Holy Spirit, God, is not, uh, God does not have a body. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal. And here's the thing, we don't figure this out. We don't have someone make calculations. We don't use logic to understand the things of God. It's not something that we can climb up to and to go because X plus Y equals this and that therefore God is such, thus and so. It's revealed to us. Of course, that doesn't mean that we don't use our brains either, right? Because our faith is spiritual and because it's imparted to us and because it's given to us by faith, we trust And we believe in God by faith. But we also have minds. We also have brains and we can use our creativity to understand the world that God has given to us. The the natural world. The world of the mind. The world of science, of medicine, of art, of culture, of music. We can use our brains to, to think deeply about God. Some of the most brilliant people in the world were followers of Jesus. Sir Isaac Newton, who discovered laws of motion. Francis Collins, who directed the Human Genome Project and the National Institute of Health. So we're called to think deeply, but to truly understand the gospel, this truth must be given to us by faith. As God reveals himself to us through his glory, through the word, through a song, through the faith of a child, we see the harmful effects of sin and devastation, and we realize there must be a God who cares God reveals himself to us. And how do we respond? Do we respond with trust? Do we respond with belief? Do we respond with a desire to say, yes, Lord, I want to understand more of your word and and what it is you say about the world around me because I can't make sense of it on my own. Or do we say, well, because there's brokenness in the world, Lord, I'll reject you. I can't believe that you would create a world like this. And so we then approach God seeking wisdom. We want God to impart wisdom to us by his spirit. So we're rigorous in our study of the word. Yes, God reveals us to to us himself through his word, but we also want to be students of the word. We want to master God's word so that it masters us. And the only way that that happens is is to read it, is to sit down with it and to say, Lord, I I want to understand the story of your word. And, And some people want to choose to read through the whole Bible in a year. And some people want to say, I want to take this book this year and just immerse myself in it, to to merit in it so that I I just soak up all the truth of this one particular book. That's up to you. There's no prescription as to what you must do other than to be in the Word. For how will you be able to interpret the times? How will you be able to know what is right from wrong if you're not grounded in Scripture 
And there are many vehicles for you in this church alone simply to, to gain an understanding, to be alongside other believers, to want to grow in spiritual disciplines or in the understanding of what God's Word teaches. There are many, many opportunities. And so if you're not part of one, get in one. It's a great way to, to experience the Word of God from another person's point of view. We think about how much we've learned from our brothers and sisters in Honduras as we seek to apply God's Word. Right? This is, it's a partnership that we have. We go down and realize, wow, we have something to give, but we have so much to learn. And it helps us to grow. We realize that we're partners in ministry. What a great thing. That's through the application of God's Word. But you can't apply God's Word if you're not reading God's Word. And some of you say, well, where do I start? You can start on page 1. You can start on page 913. Whatever it is. Just start. Take up and read. And listen. It's imparted to us. So ask God, what James says, ask God for wisdom through his word. And finally, this word is also spiritual. This wisdom is spiritual. So it's hidden, it's secret, it's imparted, but it's spiritual. I don't know if you noticed this, and remember, I've shared this with you a bunch of times. When we're reading through the scriptures, this is why I think it's such a big deal for you to have your Bible or a Bible open because then you can really see the words on the page and notice things that probably I didn't even notice as I was studying. How many times is the word spirit used in these 10 verses? 12 times. 12 times. A lot. That's a lot, right? So I think probably Paul is wanting to get the attention of his hearers because he's saying this is a word that's really important. Now, uh, sometimes the word spirit refers to the person. The spirit of the person. He also says the spirit of the world. But then also other times it's capitalized, meaning the Holy Spirit. But man, if God is, if, if Paul is writing this word down this many times, he wants the Corinthians to know something and he's wanting us to know something. That this word is spiritual. Let me read to you verse uh, 14 through 16 again because it's been a minute since we read it. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, capital S, Holy Spirit, for they are folly to him. So the natural person doesn't accept the Spirit of God because what the Spirit of God says is folly. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I've touched on this already. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul is saying is, and we know this by, by faith, that the Spirit does many things, right? The Spirit convicts us of sin. The Spirit also indwells believers. The Holy Spirit indwells believers. So if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've received Christ, if you're trusting in Christ for your righteousness, you have the Holy Spirit. There's a little portion of the, I don't know how little it is, but there's a portion of the church that says that you have to get a second blessing. You ever heard of that? Has anyone ever said, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Uh, there's a group, a small group, a uh, Sunday school in the church where I came from, and there are some of the most awesome people. Uh, there, and they met in this conference room, which is right outside my office. And in Florida, uh, it's in St. Pete, it, you know, it was hot all the time, right? Even in January, it's hot. And so 
and the buildings were not connected all one together. There was different buildings with sidewalks and, and little things. And so we would stand outside, me and Pastor Dave, not outside, but at the doorway with the doors open, shaking hands after the service. And in between the services, I would just get so sweaty. Like my shirt was just like soaking wet because we had, we wore robes in the first service and then we uh, wore this kind of stuff in the second service. And so I'd have to go into my office and just literally cool down. And the Sunday school class was right there. I'm not sure why I'm going into so much detail here, but. So, and they were always talking about getting a second baptism. And they're like, Pastor Matt, have you been, you've been, you've been, uh, you've received the second blessing? And I was like, wait, what, what are you talking about? So I had to go into this understanding of what they were even talking about. And what they believed was that when you came to faith in Christ, you were a Christian. But then at some point you had to receive the Holy Spirit. And often it would happen in really dramatic ways where people were either speaking in tongues or, you know, running down uh, to the front of the sanctuary. It was a real big thing. And so we got into like a great theological conversation. But my understanding of how the Spirit is received in the book of Acts is that when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit. And, and we kind of take that for granted if it's part of our tradition. We just think, yeah, that's how it is. But think about it in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would come upon a person. But that was a really rare event. When a person received the Spirit, it was a big deal that, that the writers of Scripture would tell us about. But here's the thing, you guys. Every single one of you has the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit indwells you. It's an amazing thing. And that's different from all of human history up until when Jesus Christ came. If you've trusted in Christ, you have the Spirit. And that gives you an ability to understand. You have wisdom that the natural man, verse 14, the natural person does not have. Those who are natural, those who don't, don't believe, they don't have this insight. What a gift that is. What a blessing it is to be able to understand the world around us because there's a lot of confusion. In every sphere of life, there's confusion. But we have access. We have access to the spiritual wisdom that God gives. The Spirit also not only indwells, but the Spirit searches. The Spirit searches our hearts. We, we can understand the deep things of God. The Spirit understands the deep things of God. And so then the Spirit allows us to understand the deep things of God. But there's this tension, right? It's just like for the Corinthians. Their, their lives were distracted by all of the material things, all the physical things that existed in their world. And while the deep things of God were accessible to them, they were distracted. Doesn't that sound like us right now? Aren't we distracted? We're distracted by the news. We're distracted by our phones. We're distracted by the score. We're distracted by the weather. We're distracted by so many things that bump up into our lives. And there's nothing wrong with understanding uh, what, what the forecast is or who won or who lost, and engaging in those things, because that's part of life. It's one of the ways that we connect. But if we're not, if we're so distracted from those things that we don't have time simply to understand the deep things of God, then how are we going to be grounded? How are we going to interpret violence and bloodshed and loss when the time comes? We need to allow the Spirit to search us so that we can understand the truth of God. The Spirit also teaches through the Word of God. We learn about the character of God. We learn about the eternal truths of God. We learn how we're to live in light of what God's done. We're learned, we know where to look for comfort and joy. 
The Spirit allows us to understand and apply what it is we're learning so that we can become mature. Our vision is to mature God's people to serve a hurting world. How are you maturing? Are you more mature now than you were on January 22nd, 2022? Do you take stock of your life, your spiritual life? Are you saying, what, what can I do to grow? How can I become the person that God wants you to be? It doesn't really matter where you are in that discipleship journey. If you're a follower of Christ, you want to be moving toward Jesus, right? It doesn't matter where you are. The question is, where are you going? Are you taking steps to respond to what God has done? In the regular mundane aspects of life, just to say, I want to study God's word. I want to grow. I want to learn how to pray. I want to do this. I want to be able to share my faith in a meaningful way. What are those ways that you're maturing? Because you see, Paul says we have the mind of Christ at the end of the passage. What does that mean, that we have the mind of Christ? To have the mind of Christ means to look at life from Jesus' point of view. We have his values and his teachings and his wisdom in mind. You know, I've shared with you uh, multiple times that I have, uh, I've got an affliction. I was diagnosed with presbyopia, which is the thing that requires me to wear reading glasses, right? Many of us are experiencing it, right? You're, the hardening of a lens in your eye means you can't see things up front. And so instead of doing this, because one time I preached a sermon and I have my glasses like this and I'm doing this, and Brandy said lovingly to me, you got to lose those glasses. It's like this all the time, right? Pointing at you with the glasses. So you know what I did? I talked to my uh, optometrist about it, and he goes, I have these contacts that you can wear, and you can see what's in front of you. Now, I think I need a new prescription because these words are blurry even here in the 12-point font. I can't see you clearly in the very back, but I can see here. And so I have to put these lenses on. So once a week on Sunday morning, if I'm ever late to worship, it's because I couldn't get my contacts in. And I'm doing this. And there's a, there's a door, there's one mirror in there, and I'm doing this. And it always, this right one always falls out. It drives me crazy because I don't do it every single day. Those of you who put contacts in, you're amazing for doing it every day. I can't. But I'm wearing a lens, Right? I'm wearing a lens on my eyes, and it affects how I see the world, especially this part that's close. You're wearing a lens right now. You're wearing a lens that affects how you see the world. And the question is, in an increasing measure, are you putting on the mind of Christ? Are you asking yourself when you read a story in the news or when you see something happening in your community or in your family, are you saying, Jesus, how would you have me to see this event? How do you see this, Jesus? Do you see this with your wisdom, with your insight, with your compassion, with your passion? Or, are, am, I, or am I seeing it the way in my natural self? In increasing measure, we want to be able to see things in the world. Because let me tell you, friends, it's going to get more confusing. You think it's confusing now? Wait till deep fakes run the world. Well, what is that? Who knows what a deep fake is? is any, who, who doesn't know what a deep fake is? It's okay, raise your hand. A bunch of people don't know. You don't know okay, well, you better find out, right? Artificial intelligence, computers, are creating what are called deep fakes. It's a video of someone, but it's not actually the person. It looks exactly like the person. And it looks like they're talking, there was one of Morgan Freeman, uh, there was one of Jim Carrey starring in The Shining. Uh, there's one of Tom Cruise on TikTok where it looks just like him. And he's saying and speaking and talking, but it's actually not him. Artificial intelligence is creating 
information that's disinformation. And if you thought it was hard to understand the times now, wait till deep fakes. And so far, it's just been for entertainment purposes. But you can see how someone with nefarious purposes could use it to cause real harm. How many of you guys downloaded um, ChatGPT? Who's got ChatGPT? Anybody? Just one person in the room? ChatGPT is an artificial intelligence uh, mechanism that that writes creatively. Mostly searches on the internet are just pulling up what's already there. But ChatGPT can actually write things. Let me just share with you. Uh, I doubt this came out. I, this, this app came out a couple, um, a few weeks ago. And this is what I typed in uh, right before. Now, I, this is really small font, so I got to double up with the lenses and the glasses. This is what I typed into ChatGPT. Write a sermon about the birth of Jesus, including comparisons to the song Silent Night, which was our hymn for Christmas Eve. And this came from a computer and it pulled up in about four seconds. Today we celebrate the birth of Jesus, a momentous occasion that we commemorate every year during this special season. Just as Mary and Joseph welcomed the infant king, so too do we open our hearts to him today. God chose to come down to earth in the form of a baby because he wanted to be close to us. He wanted to understand our pains and our joys and our sorrows and our triumphs. He wanted to live among us, showing us what it means to follow him and to be perfect and holy as he is. The song Silent Night captures many of these reverent feelings that we experience during Jesus' birth. The first line of the song reads, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. This reflects the serenity of the night Jesus was born. Heaven and earth experienced stillness and peace. It was a time of hope and joy, and the atmosphere was filled with awe and wonder. It's kind of freaky, isn't it? And why do I share that with you? First of all, as I read through this whole thing, what was profoundly missing in the sermon was the gospel. The reality that, that we need someone to come down from heaven. It was a very moralistic sermon. But if this is the world in which we're living, if this is the, 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 the place where our children are growing and seeking to understand who Jesus is, it's incumbent upon us, those who have the gift of the Spirit, who've been imparted this secret wisdom to be about mastering the Word and allowing it to master us so that we can teach and share and interpret the times. This is not meant to, to freak you out or to scare you. It's meant to, to help us to recalibrate because we're living in a world of confusion. We're living in a world where we don't know up from down. And it's only going to get worse unless we grab hold to the Word of God. We cling to one another to help one another walk this way by faith. That's why it's so important for us to, to be together, to worship and to gather and to grow in God's Word. But not only that, to enter into the world where that's being shaped by deep fakes and chatbot GPT and all these other technologies, that yes, they can be used for good, but there's concern. How do we enter in and live with wisdom? So what do you do in response to this? It's to have hope, first of all, that Jesus Christ entered into a world of confusion. He entered into the city of Corinth through the word of God that Paul shared with him to give those folks hope. And he's doing the same thing now. We can live with confidence. We can live with joy and with passion. But we need to take up the word to read it, to understand it, to apply it, and to obey it. Let's pray. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.